The book of Mark chronicles the last three years of Jesus here on earth. They were pretty intense years, to say the least. Since meeting John the Baptist, he was faced with temptations in the desert, performed miracles, healed people, gained followers, was transfigured and died a criminal's death, only to be raised from the dead. Why should all this matter to you and me? Join us for the last three. Good evening, church. How's everybody doing this evening? How's everybody doing this evening? There we go. It's good to see everybody. Nice to be together on this uh, celebratory night for many people and a sad evening for others, depending on which team you are rooting for. As I was preparing tonight, just a couple hours ago, I was thinking of all of the things that you can say in church that are connected to the Super Bowl and are super cringy, but as a lover of dad jokes and a dad myself, I love all of them. I thought about saying, tonight we're going to score a touchdown in God's word. I thought about saying, for the last song, instead of raising your hands like this, raise your hands like this. Field goal for the Trinity. Three points. Are you going to have super faith tonight? On the Super Bowl evening. Amen. I got a yes in the front. Let's go. I love it. I love dad jokes, and I love uh, um, sharing them with you. If, if you're new with us this evening, you will, this will not be the last time you hear a dad joke, but most of the times I say them seriously, and then people tell me after not to share them anymore, and then I just double down and share them more. So that's just kind of how I do things, and so if you are new, as Simone said, we're glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we're so thankful that you are with us, and we want you to know that we care about you. We want to connect with you. Please reach out to us. Um, via the connect card, or you can always, those of you in the room and those of you online, you can always direct message us on Instagram or on Facebook, and we'll connect with you that way if that's easier for you. Well, tonight we are in episode seven of our series in the book of Mark, and the sermon title tonight is Truth Not Tradition. Truth Not Tradition. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Mark chapter seven. If you have the app, you can click on the notes icon and you will find the notes to follow along in the sermon together. We want to encourage you to participate in God's word together as we work through this very important text. And I really believe that the lesson that Jesus is teaching us here is so important for our current times. It feels more important for our current times than it's ever felt, at least in my life. And I pray that you see that and God challenges you and encourages you with his word this evening. So chapter 7 is a prelude to something that's going to take place later in chapter 7 and over uh, the next three major events in Jesus' life. Jesus is about to perform three miracles. He's going to heal three Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. And this was scandalous because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the Jewish people did not associate often with the Gentiles unless they were forced to. Certainly religious leaders were not associating on that type of level of extending grace and preaching and teaching and healing those that are not Jewish. There was very much a tribal mentality in the region. And so Jesus, as we saw last week, who was labeled by the, the people of his hometown a scandalon, or they were, he scandalized them. He was the scandalous one. 
He was, felt this way and was treated this way because he didn't have the right qualifications. He didn't have the right education. He didn't have the right family. He was not what they imagined the Messiah would look like. He didn't fit their parameters. And so even his hometown in Nazareth rejects him. And we have seen now for several chapters in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry that the religious leaders of his day have also rejected him and are trying to discredit his ministry. He is a scandalon. He is rejected and he is scandalized. And it's not helping that now he's going to go and extend grace and heal Gentile people. It's only furthering the hatred that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, have towards him. So he's about to go do that, but right before that, he has a conversation with the religious leaders of the day that only make them even more incensed at who Jesus is and the message of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. So we're going to read the first few verses here in Mark chapter 7, actually starting in verse 5 through 8. It says this, and the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the religious leaders, they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here, Jesus is challenging something in uh, the tradition of Judaism. So the religious leaders and the scribes are upset at Jesus because as the rabbi or as the leader of these disciples, he has allowed his disciples to wash their hands inappropriately. There's this whole oral tradition that takes place in Judaism. Now, you may be unfamiliar with this, but Judaism has the Torah, the first five books of the law. And here within the first five books of the Bible, it's very clear God gives his commandments for God's people. His moral law is written down and is shared. Now, over time, the Jewish people have developed something called an oral tradition, which were all of these extra laws and regulations that were given to God's people. Now, the reason that these were established was to protect God's people from breaking the law of God. They would examine every aspect of your personal life and your corporate life, and they would add all of these extra rules so that you would not break God's law. So they add all these extra rules and regulations because as cultures have changed and things have taken place, they want to make sure that they remain pure. So they add all of these traditions, they add all of these things so that God's people will not break God's law. And everybody accepted this. You, you have to follow the oral tradition as well as the law of God. And so as this has been passed down, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, have held much authority and influence over God's people because they were the ones who maintained the oral tradition. They were the ones that oversaw everything, made sure that you're following it. They established new traditions that you had to follow if you were a good, law-abiding, God-fearing Jewish believer. And so, as this is all taking place, 
and this is established, and everybody accepts it, and everybody believes in it, including the disciples of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees notice that Jesus, as the leader of his disciples, have allowed his disciples to wash their hands in an improper way. See, the, the oral tradition went all the way down to how you're supposed to wash your hands so that they're clean before you eat. You would have to cup your hands in a certain way where when the water was poured over your hands, it would cover every aspect of your hands. And so apparently what's happened is the disciples have now washed their hands and they did it in an inappropriate way. And this is incredibly offensive, but it's also a sin because they broke the oral tradition. So Jesus here, when they come to him and they say, why would you allow your disciples to wash your hands in this inappropriate way? Jesus now begins to dismantle the oral tradition. Now this is scandalous because everyone, including the disciples, follow this. They uphold this. They believe that these traditions are necessary and important for them to be pure, for them to be good, for them to be believers in right standing with God. And so Jesus begins to dismantle this tradition. And as I'm reading this, I want you to imagine two things. I think this is helpful for you to think whenever you're reading any passage of Scripture. First, I want you to consider and picture what's taking place with Jesus before these scribes and his disciples around. You see, when you read Scripture, don't just read it as words in a page, but put yourself into the story and feel what the disciples are feeling. How the Pharisees and the scribes are so angry at Jesus as he begins to call them hypocrites. Picture yourself in this scene. But also ask yourself this question. This is what we're going to see God challenge us with in his word. What are our oral traditions established in the church? Because traditions are something that we as human beings create and hold to. We establish them. We uphold them. And it's easy for us sometimes to view traditions as truth. And so in 2022, what are you as a Christian supposed to believe? What are you supposed to uphold? How are you supposed to behave? How may you feel the need to look in order for you to be a follower of Christ in right standing with God? And so the Pharisees, as they are attacking Jesus because the disciples have washed their hands inappropriately, Jesus then responds in verse 6 through 8 with this very uh, cutting response right back to them. He says this, verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus responds to them, not by defending his disciples and saying, well, they just made a mistake. They, sorry, they, they should have actually cupped their hands the appropriate way. Let me talk to them later. He doesn't say, actually, I don't think that that's an appropriate tradition. Let's change that one and establish a new way of washing hands. He actually comes right back and he begins to dismantle all of the oral tradition, which is what he's going to do in this chapter. He says to them, you are actually hypocrites. Now, if you have spent time in scripture, you know that this accusation towards the religious leaders is not uncommon. 
Jesus labels them and, and attacks them for being hypocrites time and time again. For this very thing, their heart is far from God, but they put on religion well. They look like they're doing everything right. They're abiding all the rules. They're having this spiritual elitism. But if you're just putting yourself into the scene, the accusation that Jesus makes that they're hypocrites is shocking. And it's a little bit confusing because what have the Pharisees and the scribes done that is hypocritical? Everybody believes the oral tradition. They are upholding it. And they are challenging Jesus for not upholding it with his disciples. They're they're not a contradiction in the eyes of everybody looking at them and viewing them. They're doing things right. They're upholding the traditions. But you see, what Jesus says to them is that they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. That they put on religion really well. They look like they have it all together. They look like they're holy and pure and righteous. But in reality, they're serving something else. They're not serving God himself. They are, in fact, a contradiction. And this is really insightful, and it's also alarming. Because what this means is that you can look on the outside like you are following God, you're honoring God, you're serious about God, and in reality, your heart is surrendered to something else. It could be surrendered to ego, to approval, to power, to culture. It could be surrendered to something opposite of what it looks like on the outside, that you can look and appear to everybody else that you are following after Christ, but you're actually walking in the opposite direction. This is the accusation that Jesus makes, which is not time-bound. In fact, it's timeless. It's a, a challenge for us. It's alarming, and it causes us to ask questions of ourselves. Because what is taking place on the outside is not always indicative of what is true on the inside. It certainly is the case here with the Pharisees. And what Jesus is really getting at here, because he's challenging something specific this oral tradition that they're upholding and they view themselves as holy and they view themselves as righteous and elite spiritually because they do such a good job of washing their hands the right way. He's revealing the danger of traditions as he tears these traditions down. Now I want you to think about traditions for a moment because remember the second question we're asking is what are our oral traditions today in the church. See, traditions are something that we create and we erect to protect something that we view as valuable and sacred. We put a fence around things in our life that are important and are valuable, and we create traditions around them. As an example, holidays. All of us here have traditions that were established in our family or we've established ourselves around the holidays. I want you to take Christmas as an example. Many of you in this room have a tradition on Christmas Eve or for Noche Buena. You have a dinner, you have stuff that happens with your family, you eat the same food, you open presents at a certain time, different people come over, there's a whole thing. Some of you have traditions on Christmas Day what Christmas morning looks like and what the routine is and you eat the same breakfast and you open presents like this or you travel and go see your family at home and everybody comes over and you play a football game in the afternoon. or You establish traditions to protect the holiday because Christmas 
is a time of joy and peace and hope and laughter. And because you want to protect that, you create traditions to create this familiarity with Christmas so that it always feels similar. And it can protect against maybe a bad year or a bad month or a bad week. And some of us really struggled with that this past year because so many people during the Christmas holidays, they got COVID and couldn't go visit family. So many stories of people that really struggled to enjoy Christmas because you were not able to engage in your traditions. Now, I understand that because traditions can be good and they're enjoyable. But the question is, take Christmas as an example. How easy is it for us to make Christmas about the traditions that we uphold rather than the actual message of Christmas, which is the incarnation of Jesus? It can be easy to get those things confused and to see Christmas and all of its excitement around presents and food and traditions and maybe less about what we're actually celebrating, what we're called to actually remember. This is an example of traditions. And what can happen for us is traditions can become truth. The truth of the holiday, as an example, can get lost in the traditions that become true for us instead. And this is what Jesus says here. Verse 8, he says that you have lost, you've forgotten the commandments of God, and you've held to the traditions of men. You've missed God in all of your traditions that you've established. Try to protect yourself from breaking God's law. You've actually missed the heart of God. You've missed out on his commandments and the heart behind them. Traditions are a fence that can easily become a fortress. We create them, understandably, to protect things important and valuable, but they can easily become a fortress, and we don't want anyone to mess with our traditions. We hold to them with closed fists, and it gives us some sense of control, which is why we like traditions, because we feel in control. I'm going to control my Christmas. I'm going to control my joy. I'm going to control my peace. I'm going to control how I feel God sees me because of the traditions that I establish. In fact, many people can make coming to church a tradition more than an act of worship with God's people. God, I'm going to church because I want you to know that I'm good. And I want you to feel like you love me. It's a tradition and you miss out on the truth of why you're meant to be here and the power in the room of worshiping with God's people. It can become a fortress instead of simply just a fence that is meant to protect something sacred. Seeking the approval of others or self by upholding traditions instead of God. And the thing for us that we have to remember, and I think this is what Jesus is, is revealing to his disciples and to us, is that for us, there's only one thing that is prescriptive. Traditions are changing. And all of us in this room have different traditions that we uphold and different cultures we come from. I mean, the church itself in this room is full of so many different traditions. And the global church is full of an incredible amount of traditions that are different for every family, every country, every environment in this country. But there's only one thing that's prescriptive for us. And that is God's word. It's scripture alone, not tradition. You see, here's what Jesus is revealing. Scripture is truth and traditions are traditions. Scripture is truth and traditions are traditions. It's really important to get that right. 
really important to get that right. There's a question I wrote, I think, I think we should ask ourselves as a church. Is what I believe to be true or right based on scripture or tradition? Is what I view to be right based on scripture or tradition? Now, you may think it's so easy to differentiate that, Carter. I mean, I can easily differentiate what are my traditions and what, what is scripture. But I want us to remember the power of tradition because tradition creates culture and culture affects our perspective on truth. Think about every culture in the world and the culture that you come from. It was established in large part by the traditions within it, from your family culture to your, your, your culture that is from your place of origin. All of these things create a culture based upon traditions that affect your lens on truth. They affect the way that you see truth. And that is true for each and every one of us. It creates a lens through, the which, through which we actually interpret Scripture, which is truth. And some traditions and some culture actually help us see Scripture more clearly. I'll, I'll go back to Christmas again. Some of the traditions that we have established in our families and in our cultures help us see in, the incarnation of Jesus more clearly. Maybe you have that. Maybe you wake up in the morning and together you read God's word and you read about the birth of Jesus and you go to Christmas Eve service and you make that a priority and, and you establish Jesus all throughout the Christmas holidays so you don't miss what it's all about. Maybe you have a tradition of prayer, of when you pray and how you pray throughout the week so that you could see God and engage with God clearly. Maybe you have a tradition of time of devotion or personal worship where you wake up at this time every day. It's a tradition of yours. And you spend time in God's word, no matter whether or not you feel like it. These things are good, and they actually help you see scripture more clearly. However, all of us have been influenced by traditions and culture that clouds out the truth of God's scripture, the truth of God's word. It helps us, it causes us to, to struggle to see what is really true, we have these added entanglements, and what happens over time is we begin to notice them, and we try to detach from them, but it can become very difficult. And, and the reason I'm explaining this is because I think that there's something taking place, well, I don't think, I know that there's something pl taking place in the church that's very popular right now, and I get it, and that is deconstructionism. There are so many people in the church that are deconstructing from their faith that are deconstructing, I think, in large part from the traditions that they've been implanted within. They're deconstructing from the faulty and flawed interpretations of Scripture that they sat under. They're deconstructing from a culture that doesn't seem to fit with Scripture, and they're having a hard time sorting it out. And so I understand this movement. I know many of you in this room are probably deconstructing, and maybe you wouldn't use that word, or maybe you do, but you feel as if there's been this awakening, especially in the past several years, to say, I don't know if everything I heard and everything I believed and all the traditions that I followed, I don't know if that it's right. It doesn't seem right. And so there's this movement in the church and in our culture of kind of removing those entanglements and deconstructing. And I think in many ways it's a good thing. I think it is. 
Because traditions can become truth. They create culture, which creates a perspective on truth, and it's not always aligned with Scripture. And a lot of times we take traditions as truth, and we don't connect them to Scripture and say, is this really what I should be thinking? Is this really true? You see, there's a challenge, though, that I give to those that are deconstructing. You know, first, I always want to say, I understand And I think it's good. And I think truth always wins the day. So I don't think you need to be afraid. I don't think anybody should discourage you from challenging yourself. Thinking is the foundation of faith. And if if God's word is true, which I certainly believe it is true, it is going to prevail as you deconstruct. It's okay. But I think it's important to, to recognize something. To ask yourself one question. A place from which to start. Take away all of the traditions that you were raised in. Take away the anger from the culture that you sat under. Take away the flawed interpretations that affected you. Take away all of the entanglements that have clouded everything out for you and your faith. And ask yourself one question. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible true? Not are those traditions true? Is the Bible true? Not what that one person told me when I was growing up is true. Is the Bible true? Is it true? Not the traditions formed from it. Not the applications made from it. Not the interpretations established from it. Is the Bible true? So I think this is the place from which we should start reconstructing. Because we believe that scripture alone is truth. There is truth found within the world. God's sovereign hand and his image is born within us and in what we create. And we see God all throughout this universe. The stars declare the glory of God. But there is one place where God's truth is specially re- is revealed in a special way. And it's right here. It's not in traditions. It's in here. It's not in charismatic preachers and people that say things in a nice way. God may use them to explain and to reveal and hold out what is true in here. This is what is true. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. That it's not about these oral traditions that you've created over centuries to make yourself feel better about yourself and to feel like you're so holy and so righteous. He's dismantling that. He's saying, no, no, this God's word is what is true, not the traditions. It's a question for you. Do you believe God sovereignly oversaw and inspired the scriptures to reveal truth? That is such an important question to ask yourself as you're reconstructing your faith. Do you believe that God oversaw and inspired the scriptures to reveal truth. Are they true? Because the tendency is for us to establish flawed interpretations as truth and then create traditions around them to protect them. And that's why I understand those that are deconstructing because there's been traditions and culture created on flawed interpretations of truth and now everyone is so confused. I don't know what to think. Start there. Is, is God's word true? Let me read that. Let me start reconstructing from that place. Because we have this tendency to ascribe purity to our traditions. 
We're no different than what Jesus is calling out here in Mark 7. Jesus continues, actually, in verse 14 through 20, and he kind of digs a little bit deeper, and he says this. This really pulls to the heart of it. He says, And he called to the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, our, from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts and deeds. You see, he's speaking here about another tradition which revolved around food. Still, to this day, is kept by many within the Jewish community and Jewish faith. They eat kosher. There's certain foods to not eat, and there's certain foods that are proved to eat. And Jesus here is making a very strong claim that all foods are clean. It's not what you eat. It's not what is outside of you that defiles you. It's from within. He's going right back to what he just said before. It's from the heart. Out of the heart comes purity. Not how someone engages externally. See, material matters are not what matters. That is what he's getting at. It's not how you wash your hands. It's not the food you eat. Material matters are not what matters. It's not where you judge someone's morality. Not at all. It's not what matters. But we have a tendency to view that as what matters, to place significance and to place morality upon material matters, just as the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. If you wash your hands this way, then you're holy. If you wash them in an improper way, then you're sinning. If you eat the wrong foods, then you're sinning. If you eat the right foods, then you're holy. We do the same thing, church. Now, it, it may not be around food and washing of hands, but it is certainly found in other places and in other ways. We ascribe and judge someone's morality based upon material matters all the time. All the time. For instance, we judge someone's morality. I'm not saying just us in the church. I'm saying the church. We judge someone's morality based upon how they enjoy their time. We judge, many people judge someone's morality whether or not they drink alcohol, they like to go dancing, even if they play video games. There's many other things too. We judge someone, well, I don't know, they're probably not really serious about God, probably immature in their faith because they do these things. Even though there's nowhere in Scripture that says you're, you're not allowed to play video games or, in fact, the book of Psalms says that wine is the drink that gladdens the heart, but you should enjoy it in moderation. There's dancing, I mean, D David danced, there's all types of dancing in the Bible. Jesus goes to a wedding, I believe there's a lot of dancing at that wedding. But we judge someone's morality based upon the things they enjoy. We also judge somebody's morality based upon how they spend their money. The vacations they go on. What kind of fashion they're into or not into. We judge somebody's morality based upon the shoes they wear. This is actually a, a channel, Preachers and Sneakers. Have you guys heard about it? 
Been around for a while. It's an entire channel focused on judging the morality of pastors that wear nice shoes. Doesn't matter how they got them. Doesn't matter if they were a gift. It doesn't, it just, it, it's literally, it's a whole wardrobe now. We judge someone's morality based upon what they wear, where they travel, how they spend their money, car they drive, whether or not they're serious about God, whether or not they're mature in their faith. We judge them. We also judge people's morality based upon their kids. Do you know that that happens? It happens with parents all the time. How your kid behaves, we judge the parent's morality. How much screen time does the parents give to the kids? How do, how do the parents, what is the, the lifestyle that the kids are within? Do they have daycare? Do they have a nanny? Or do they have an after-school program? Or what sports are they in? And, and how much attention is given to these things? There's all types of judgment. And then parents actually judge themselves too based upon those things. We judge people's morality on other things too. If you go deeper, we ascribe morality to what political party you vote for. You can't be a Christian if you vote this way or that way. We judge people's morality based upon what causes they stand for. This was 2020. We judge people's morality based upon the positions they take on certain matters. This is 2021. We ascribe purity to how people engage with material things all the time. And we, we make judgments upon whether or not they're serious about their faith. And sometimes we even say, I don't know if that person's a Christian. Maybe you don't say it out loud because you know you're not supposed to say that, but we do that. You see, what Jesus is getting at here is the danger of tradition. Now, I'm not saying so many of these things aren't a matter of wisdom, but what I'm telling you is that they're not a matter of truth. You see, when you read God's word, he gives you wisdom to know how to navigate these things. And so, yes, there could be conversations based upon traditions and based upon how people engage with material matters, but it doesn't mean that you're not being changed and challenged by the truth of God's word. It's not a matter of morality. It may be a matter of wisdom. Jesus is emphasizing that purity is not from material matters, but from the heart. You see, there's something that we need, and this is so much of Jesus' ministry, and this is what he's instilling in his disciples, and this is what he's preaching to you and to me, is that we don't need to continue to judge people's morality based upon how they engage in material matters. We actually need to look at ourselves and realize that we, we need a new heart. The book of Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. I don't know if you've looked at your heart before, but mine is sick. It's broken. It's flawed. It's so easy for me to attach myself to things and have entanglements and have things that pollute my mind and my heart. I know your heart is the same because you're human. We all have a heart that needs to be transformed, that needs to be renewed, that needs to be purified. It's so easy for us to want to, instead of dealing with the, the condition of our heart, judge the heart of other people based upon how they engage in certain things, what they believe and what they do and how they behave and how they act because we're looking at their traditions and their opinions and stances and positions on things and saying, oh, that's wrong. Not allowed to do that. We need a new heart. Well, praise God that that's exactly what God promises to us. 
You see, traditions can at times keep us from truth, but you have a God that wants to refine your heart. This is what it says in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11, verse 19. God says this to you. Here's, here's truth, not tradition. Here's truth found in God's word. God says that he will give us a new heart and remove the heart of stone. He will give you a new heart and remove the heart of stone. See, the promise of faith is that you don't need traditions in your life to make you feel secure and free, to make you feel like God loves you and now he accepts you because you're doing everything right and you're following all the rules. No, that is legalism and it's very dangerous. The promise of faith is that when you recognize the condition of your heart, which is polluted and desperately sick, and it's a heart of stone, that when you come to Jesus and you surrender your life in faith, he gives you a new heart where you can live free. You can live secure. You don't need to seek to earn God's love. You don't need to seek seek to establish and follow tradition so you can feel like you're good. No, you're actually already good in Christ. You're already good in Christ. You don't need traditions to put a fence around yourself to make you feel as if you're good because you're doing it right. No, you just need God's word, the truth of his word to transform you. See, the process of sanctification, which is a theological word, which means becoming more like Christ. The process of sanctification is you day in and day out, seeing God work in you, his grace over you, taking you from where you're at, and refining your heart to where you're becoming what you already are in eternity's future. You see, in eternity's future, in heaven, in eternal life, you are pure and you are clean in the eyes of God. He loves you and he sees you as pure and clean and holy. And you are now, today, in the process of living into that and growing into that. And it's so important that we recognize that that is the process that we are in. And that our heart has the capability of being polluted. And so our prayer should not be to establish more traditions over other people so that they're following the religion right. Our prayer for ourselves, for our church, for our city, for our country, for this world is God, create in me a new heart. Create in me a new heart and renew a right spirit within me. This is not a one-time thing. This is a day in, day out, ongoing thing. Why? Because traditions can be dangerous. They can be good, but they can also be dangerous. They can cloud out truth. They can be full of flaws and entanglements, and they can affect us deeply. So our prayer, and my encouragement to you, is start this week. Every single day when you wake up, pray this prayer. God, today, create in me a new heart and renew a right spirit within me before every conversation that you're about to get in that's going to be contentious, before any time that you want to go to somebody and talk about a material matter based upon things they believe or their positions or their stances or how they vote or how they spend their money or how they raise their kids or what they enjoy, before you engage in any conversation with anyone on a material matter so that you don't come in judging them and standing on some some seat of elitism as if you have it all right and they don't, Before that, pray, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me before I have this conversation. It's a matter of wisdom here. And I want your truth to guide me, not my opinions and not the traditions that I find acceptable for myself. My prayer is that that's the kind of people we would be. In this world of polarization, in this world of 
grenade throwing across so many different opinions and stances on things that we would be people that pray for a renewed heart, a new heart, a new spirit in every conversation in ourselves because we recognize that we're just as broken as everyone else. We have the capability of being hypocrites too. And yet Jesus is the one that frees us of that fear of God viewing us that way because he gives us a new heart. Amen? Will you pray with me?